Okay, good morning. Can you hear me? Fantastic. Um, my name's Heather. It is uh, so good to be here this morning. I grew up in Tadley. For those of you who don't know me, I, yeah, I grew up in Tadley. Actually became a Christian in this church and at Taste, the work that Jeff is doing in Taste, about 10 years ago. Um, and then, so I was here from about 16 until 18. Um, and then I left Tadley and I went to do an internship, and then I landed in Cambridge where I did a theology course and carried on from there. Um, I'll tell you more about what I'm up to and a bit about my story this morning, but it it is such a blessing to be here. I was reflecting this week on what my life and my, my heart has looked like kind of when I started coming to this church and then, you know, each time I've come back every, every year or so around Christmas time normally. Um, and, you know... I was I was a mess when I first came here, but God does really amazing things, and my story is really one of transformation. But I but it it was through being part of a church like this and churches since that I've God's given me a home, He's given me a family, and so yes, it's it's just such a blessing to be here. My like my story, like I said, is is really one of transformation. I don't know if any of you remember sixteen year old teenage Heather, but she was a treat. Um, I'd um, I'd just I'd got pretty stuck in life. I grew up in a non Christian family. Um, God wasn't really part of the picture for me when I was younger. Um, and so when I was kind of fourteen, fifteen, I was doing the things that fourteen, fifteen year olds do, and just struggling a lot. Um, and then a friend dragged me to taste, literally, and um, uh, Jeff Allwright came and sat next to the moody kid in the corner, and, and he told her that he was thankful that she was there and that she was welcome and that she was loved, and that w- that started to soften my heart. It was something that, those were words that I hadn't heard before, and I hadn't kind of, yeah, been able to connect with that, but... I went back the week after, and then I went back the week after that, and the week after that, um, and yeah, kind of slowly, I just fell in love with Jesus. Um, I was I was tough before I'd put up all these walls out of kind of self protection, but God really started to to break that down. Um, I I went to Julian and Valdi's house and did the Alpha course and um, blessed them for you know I, I I fired every difficult question I could think of at them and I you know I, I happily kind of argued my way through the Alpha course but um, it they they were so good and so faithful. God was really was really really good and then there was a, um, a another local service that I went to and God healed me so I had. Um, an issue with my ear. Um, it had been painful for a long, long time and I'd lost hearing. And um, there was a prophetic word from the front. Someone said, there's someone in here with, with an ear issue and I'd like to pray for you. And Clara sat there next to me going, it's you, that's you, go to the front. Um, and um, he prayed and it was one of those moments where he put his hand on my ear and, you know, the the pain was gone and I could hear again. And in those moments, you can't really... You don't really have an option other than to go, okay, okay, God, here we go. Um, And it's been an adventure since then, you know. He's spoken love into every dark part of my life, and, and, um, yeah, he's been so, so good. He really had to come in strong to show me that he was there and that he loved me. Um, But it was never really an option for me to live a life 
kind of half committed to God. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know him at all, and then he completely took over my heart. Um, and so I, I just dived straight into a, a life with him, and it's been awesome. So I'm now up in Cambridge, like Greg said, just to fill you in a little bit about what I'm up to. I'm an associate pastor at a community church in Cambridge. Um, I've worked there kind of since I've left university. Um, and now I work, yeah, as an associate pastor, generally kind of helping out on the team, leading on Sunday mornings. Uh, I teach and I write a lot. Um, I've, I've really loved putting together some resources for discipleship and kind of um, helping to, to do some writing for the church. And that's that's been a really a really great job. I also do some youth work in Cambridge and some discipleship. Um, and then there's these two other things that God has really kind of put on my heart and done through, through me. So the first is um, uh, Monday Night Church, which has started in the last few years. So I, um, I specialised in autism at, at university, and I looked a lot at, at um, how we can support people with additional needs in churches, and I wrote my dissertation on that. And then I had a retreat day about a year later, and God said... Um, I'd like you to start a church for people with additional needs. <laughs> and I um, had a conversation with him for about a year um, and then and then went, okay. And, and so now we do Monday night church um, with people with autism. You, you call things what they are. So it's a church on Monday night. It's Monday night church. And we um, have a time of worship and teaching and prayer. And they can come and connect with that. And it's fantastic. It's a space where they can just come in, be there however they're going to be there, and it's wonderful. Um, and then the other thing is the I Am Project. So God really put this message in my heart around identity. Um, and when I was youth pastoring for a while, I wrote a course around identity, so it was 10 sessions. I just wrote it for our youth group. Um, and it went really, really well. It worked very well as a kind of almost alpha course level connection point where it was good foundations for those who had been in faith for a long time. Um, but we also had new people come in and get saved. So it's now kind of rolled from there and it's a resource that, that churches and youth groups can pick up and I get to go and visit churches and schools and youth groups. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real blessing. So life's a little bit busy at the minute, but it's a, it's an adventure and, um, yeah, it's, it's so good to be coming to, to be back here. And when I was praying and preparing for this morning, um, the real the message that got put, put on my heart, or the kind of yeah, I, I just wanted it's it, it's all about him. All of the glory has to go to him, you know. If 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 I am anything, it's because he is making me look more like him. Um, if uh, you know, when there's weakness, he floods that space with his strength. When there's ugliness he turns it into beauty when there's ashes he he makes things out of that and this is you know we're we're all here because of his grace and his goodness um and that yeah that that was what i was kind of praying over you guys this week and um and so yeah it's all about him and so i'm going to stop talking about myself and we're going to dig into the word a little bit this morning um one of the lessons that i've had to learn over the years um and then relearn and learn it again and learn it again um is that is what it means to to live a life worthy of god so um the word worthy is something that's come up time and time again and it's kind of been 
you know, some of my kind of wobbles and my kind of identity crises have been around this, you know, this feeling of not being good enough or of not having a um, a place somewhere or of, you know, being, you, comparison comes in, I'm sure we can all relate. And, and so this, this feeling of being worthy, or not being worthy, sorry, um, is something that can often come up for us time and time again um, and is a real issue. Um, it's a great tactic of the enemy to whisper things to us that are so easy to believe, um, that feel true to us, and but they're lies that kind of create this separation between the way that we see ourselves and the, and the yeah, kind of posture that we stand in and the things that God says about us in his word. Um, and so, yeah, that was the word that I really feel that God had for us this morning. I wonder if there's anyone in this room who is carrying this heavy burden of kind of having fallen short or having walked away and, and you're not sure how to get back to that place that you've been with him or you don't feel, yeah, worthy to stand in his presence. I think the real lie from the enemy is that we're not good enough and that we can't go to God. And that creates such a barrier. <laughs> um, and first, let me tell you that you're absolutely not the only person in the world or in the room to feel that way. Um, it's not fatal. It's not the end of the story. It's a lie, but but there's grace enough for you. Um, it doesn't make you less than the person sitting next to you, kind of less less of a Christian, less known or less loved by God. Um, and, yeah, God God understands that feeling, and he has grace for it. So we're going to dig into the letter of Colossians today. Um, if you've got your Bible, do do um, turn to Colossians 1 with me. Um, it's a book that I love and that I think we can get loads of encouragement from. So let's just start by thinking a little bit about um, who was receiving this letter from Paul and why it was written. Um, the letter has loads of relevance for us today, but the context is really helpful when we're just looking at a book. So Paul was writing this letter from prison. Um, he writes in Colossians 4. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. It was during one of the many times that he'd been imprisoned for declaring that Jesus was the risen Lord. Um, and it's addressed to a group of people that Paul had never met in a church that he'd had no place in starting. He hadn't, he hadn't been a part of that church at all. Um, but instead, the church was ministered to by a co-worker of Paul's called Epaphras, who Paul had kind of trained and raised up and discipled and then released to plant churches. Um, so Epaphras had been kind of trained by Paul, equipped with all the skills needed, needed to kind of pastor this group of people in Colossae. And then Paul had left him to get on with things on his own. Um, and this was kind of a, a key training technique that Paul used. Um, we see this kind of throughout the letters that he um, was part of encouraging churches when they first started and he planted churches and he traveled and taught. And then he left younger leaders that he had raised up to pastor them and to lead the communities. And then what the, the letters are encouragements from Paul. So the leaders would lead the churches for for some time, for a few years, and then when um, they hit difficulties or when, um, you know, things came up in their church community because, um, you know, pastoring isn't always smooth sailing, <laughs> um, they, would, they would go back to Paul. And Paul would write a letter to the whole church to um, kind of fill in the gaps of 
teaching or, you know, to address some of the issues that they had. Um, Epaphras, who was leading the, the church in Colossae, had visited Paul in prison and he had updated on how well the Colossians were doing. They were a very kind of faithful people. Um, they, he had talked about, yeah, their faithfulness and um, their love for the gospel and the hope that they had in God. But as you do when you're speaking to a mentor, he'd also told Paul about some of the difficulties that he'd had. Um, there were uh, lots of cultural pressures around at the time. So other religious teachers who were coming in, there were, you know, voices coming in from all over the place um, that turned into something called Gnosticism. I'm not saying that right. But it was this thing that kind of took Jesus off the throne and said, you know, that's, that's not the way. Um, and, and was trying to pull the church in lots of different directions. And so Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Colossians in their faith and to challenge them to a higher devotion in Jesus. Um, it's full of instructions and challenges to the church um, in their faith in Christ and how to resist the temptations that were coming at them from all these different angles. I wonder if it's a book that could still be massively helpful today, kind of encouragement and wisdom around standing firm in faith when actually life gets a bit wobbly or when there's other voices coming in. Um, And not letting ourselves get discouraged or not, um, but standing firm by God and giving ourselves permission to come back to him freely with arms open. Even when it feels like we shouldn't be able to. So there's this part at the beginning of the letter where Paul starts by reminding the church who they are and where they're going Um, And that's where we're going to begin, sorry. So from verse 3, yes, technology, fantastic. So uh, from verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come come to you. Paul was such an encouraging teacher at times. You know, at times he really challenged people, but here he he modelled thankfulness, thankfulness to to God, thankfulness for the people that he was teaching and leading, thankfulness to Epaphras. Um, And almost all of Paul's letters were introduced in this way, with kind of thanksgiving and with prayer. And there I think Paul kind of modelled what Christian worship is. It's, It's thanksgiving and it's prayer, and it's getting that balance of of knowing the position that we stand in and thanking God for all that he has done and then lifting things up to him. And and, um, and that's what Paul is, um, is modelling there. At the beginning of the letter to the Philippians, he writes, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And at the beginning of his letter to or his second letter to Timothy, sorry, he says, I thank God when I, um, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I remember you in my prayers. He goes on in, um, at the beginning of Colossians to say in the same way, um, this is in verse six, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard about it and truly understood God's grace. I can imagine the place that the P 
people in Colossae were, were in, in their faith. They were looking around at the world and they'd um, heard the gospel and accepted it. And then suddenly life wasn't smooth sailing. They looked around at the world and it was hard to see how God was working. They were isolated. They didn't kind of have that community with other Christians like we do now. Um, and they hit the trials and the difficulties of day-to-day life. And on top of that, yeah, they they felt isolated and, and um, one teacher had come in and taught them the gospel, but then all these other teachers were coming in too. Um, and what Paul is saying here is the gospel works and you're not alone. You know, the gospel is spreading throughout the whole world. You are part of something bigger than just yourselves. You know, you are part of a bigger story. And actually, I find that a real encouragement sometimes when um, I need to go back to God and kind of remember who he is and remember what he's done. I think about how we, you know, this isn't a um, a vacuum. We are part of, of a massive story. Um, we are part of God's story. But it's uh, verse 9 onwards, which I really want to focus on today. So this is the encouragement that Paul writes to these Christians who who knew God and were faithful, um, but they'd been knocked and discouraged by the difficulties in life um, and the other teachers that were coming in. Uh, yes, there, sorry. Um, so for this reason, he says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all of the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the... Um, inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. There's loads in there, um, and we're going to tackle that a little bit this morning. Um, Colossians is one of those book where, books where you could write a sermon on any verse. <laughs> There's kind of so much packed into it. Um, but I, I love this encouragement that, that Paul gives the Colossians. And this is what I really want to focus on. I feel like there's people in this room, for whatever reason, whether you've known God for your whole life or you've stepped away a little bit or you've messed up badly for whatever reason you feel that it's really hard to connect with those words a life worthy of the Lord you kind of wouldn't you wouldn't say that about yourself you wouldn't kind of put that on on your life you don't feel worthy when we get knocked we write ourselves off or comparison comes in and we look around Um, And it's easy to think that we're not good enough. It's easy to think that, you know, all these other voices coming in must be true because they're the loudest, (laughs) you know, or or we look at other people and and there's comparison and we think that that's evidence. You know, we kind of say, oh, they're they're so much better than than me at that. And we accept these things as truth without challenging it or without um, thinking about what God thinks about us. But let's replace that belief this morning with this, that I am worthy on my own. The old, you know, the old person I was before, absolutely not worthy. Um, I was sinful. I was broken. I was, uh, I was separated from God. But this is what Jesus did on the cross. He, he 
made me worthy. He put his life over mine. He hid me in him and he made me worthy. And there's nothing that I can do to lose that. I can't, I can't mess up so badly that he goes, no, I don't, I don't really want you anymore. Um, I could do a whole sermon on the story of the prodigal son. But it's this, um, he uses it to illustrate that even if I've completely walked away, even if I've pushed God away so much, he's looking for me and he's waiting to run out with open arms. That's the father that we have. That's the father that says that we are worthy. He wants to know us. So if that's something that you need to grasp hold of this morning, I'd love to pray with you. Do come and find me at the end of the service. I'd love to pray and minister into that a little bit. So let me remind you of some of the things that God does say about you. He says that if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new is here. He says you're a completely new person. He made you new. All of the old is gone. Colossians 3 verse 3 says that the old person has died and that our life is now hidden in Jesus. I love that analogy that when he died for us on the cross, he, he covered our lives with him. So that that's what God sees. He sees the forgiveness. He sees us as, as white and clean. In other words, it's not about you and it's not about me. It doesn't matter if you think you are worthy because he's made you worthy. That, that's, that's salvation. So let's just have a little look again at that passage at the beginning of Paul's letter. So he says, We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all of the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And let me point out here that it doesn't say, you know, we ask God to straighten out your behavior so that you might live a life worthy of, of the Lord. Or we ask God to remove that sin thing, that sinful thing from you so that you might live a life worthy. He says, we ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Through, the, all of the un, through all of the understanding that the Spirit gives. In other words, Paul is praying, God, fill them with more of you, <laughs> because that's the only thing that they need. It's the only thing that will make them worthy. Um, when I was thinking and praying in worship, I just had this word um, that faithful is the word that's kind of been on my heart this morning. Uh, you know, I look around and, and you guys are so faithful and it's it's a real blessing to see you. And when I think of faithfulness to God, in the natural, I think of, you know, am I reading my Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Have I got my, you know, quiet time in every day? Am I making time for him? Am I, you know, getting through my Bible in one year or whatever plan I'm doing? Am I going to church every week? You know, and there's these things that we kind of associate with faithfulness. And they're all about doing. Am I doing it? Am I, am I making time? Am I putting that in my diary? But that's not what the Bible says about our faithfulness. So um, in the Bible, um, obviously the, the Old Testament is in Hebrew and the New Testament in, is in Greek. And, and so um, we can kind of see a difference in the language. And you have to forgive me. These are, um, I haven't looked up the words this morning, but um, there's two words in the, in the Bible that are used for the word, that are um, kind of translated as the word faithful. So there's the Hebrew and the Greek. And the, the Hebrew word is generally used to describe God's faithfulness to humans. So God's faithfulness to man, God being faithful. And that word talks about um, 
being true to his word and being trustworthy and being firm and faithful, uh, you know, kind of consistent and, um, and yeah, keeping his promises. That's, that's kind of the picture of what I have is faithfulness in my head. And that is God to us. But then there's this other word which is used for man's faithfulness to God. And that word talks about believing in him and trusting in him and being convinced of who he is and being persuaded of his goodness. And I just had this revelation a little while ago of, you know, all of these things are great. Reading your Bible is, you know, we, we, I'm not saying don't do that, but that, that doesn't, um, that's not asked of us for our salvation. That doesn't determine how much God loves you, how much he thinks of you. We're asked to believe in him, to trust in him, to be convinced of who he is. And then he, he's part of that bargain is to be consistent and trustworthy and hold firm to his promises. You know, I, I fail at those things. I fail at keeping my word to God. I fail at, um, you know, spending enough time with him and doing the right things. But all he asks of us is to believe in him and we can do that. So how do we know that we are living a life worthy of God? We lean harder into him. And then Paul talks about the fruit of this, the things that will happen when we live a life worthy of God. So in verses 10 to 11, he says, um, he says, uh, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened in all power according to his glorious might. So let's get that the right way around. It's not that we need to do these things. You'll feel like we're fulfilling these things to be worthy, to live a life worthy. But God promises that because we are worthy, this is the fruit when we say yes to this adventure with him. That we will bear good fruit or bear fruit in every good work. There will be, you know, our life isn't meaningless. We will um, have fruit. There will be things that are produced from our lives. We will grow in in the knowledge of God and know who he is and and know more about him and his story and and receive revelation from him. And we will be strengthened according to his glorious might. Um, In uh, John 15, I haven't got this on the screen, but do turn with me if you can. John 15, verse, verse 15 onwards, Jesus is telling the disciples about this, the nature of this relationship that they now have with God because of the cross. And he says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and say, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. We we get to know God, you know, throughout the Bible we are called God's friend. It's a different relationship to a servant and a master. He's not a kind of far off, you know, old man sat on a cloud. He's our friend that we can know. We have the Holy Spirit, so we can know him. 
and there's this promise in John that we will bear fruit, and I love that fruit that will last. You know, we will, um, when you talk to people about God, when you love people, when you feed the hungry and clothe the naked and, you know, do all these things that, we're, that we go out and do, they, they bear fruit. They, they um, plant seeds and they show people the love of God and, they, and those, it's like a, a rippling effect. You know, they'll, um, those things have an effect on people's lives. And also, um, Paul talks about um, growing in the knowledge of God, experiential knowledge. Now, I've, um, I, I went off and did a theology degree and realised that the more you know about God, the, le- the less you know about God. <laughs> you know, there's, there's always more questions than there are answers. And so, to grow in knowledge, I don't think it means, you know, you'll be able to read all of the books, you'll be able to talk for hours, you know, you'll be able to have all the theological debates. Um, but that word knowledge is um, a Greek word, epignosis. And it's actually talking about a kind of experiential knowledge. It's talking about a knowledge as I would know someone who is my friend, you know. Um, it's not about an academic knowledge and being able to, you know, say all the right things and do all the right things, but it's about knowing God as he is your friend. I'm just going to finish on this. So um, you, you, might, you may well know this passage. It's, a, it's, a, it's one that we look at a lot. Um, in Matthew 16, um, I'm reading verses 13 to 19, and I'm reading the Amplified Version, um, but it's, it's great. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it says, Now when Jesus went into the region of Caesarea, um, Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or just one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood, mortal man, did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind um, on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So there's all sorts of translations and or interpretations, sorry, and thoughts about that verse. Um, the my understanding is the Catholic Church kind of think the you know Peter Peter had the keys to heaven. You know they were keys that only one man can have. If, if you're special enough, you can have the keys to heaven. And and yeah. but I don't think that's quite the point that God is bringing through this morning. I think um, my when I read that, my my interpretation is. Peter, Peter understood who Jesus was. Peter knew who Jesus was. All of, all of the other disciples were quoting what other people said, or they were saying, you know, I've heard this, you're, you know, people are saying you're, you're Elijah. But Peter said, um, you are Christ, 
the Messiah, the anointed, the son of the living God. The point here, I think, is that it doesn't matter what those men say I am. It doesn't matter who those men say I am. But who you think, Peter, this is what he's saying, who you think, that's that's of great importance for me. What we know about Jesus, or who we know Jesus to be, is kind of the whole point. When we're friends with someone, we're familiar. We know them. We know um, what they're like. We know their nature. We know what their voice sounds like. Friends are familiar. They know one another kind of intimately. And we are called friends of God. What an honor. Um, Jesus said, For mortal men have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter had a revelation that Jesus was, was the Son of God. It wasn't, it wasn't human wisdom. It wasn't knowledge from a book. It was experiential knowledge. He, he knew Jesus. He'd, he'd spent time with him. He'd talked to him. And God had told him who he was. Um, Peter had this revelation of Jesus' character, who he really is. And this, and for this he was called blessed. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. How great is it that 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 knowledge, that revelation that we um, we know who Jesus is, that is the foundation of the church. That is what God has built his church on. Um, we cannot be friends with a person without this experiential knowledge of who they are. Uh, revelation was the factor that changed the nature of the relationship that man could have with God after the cross. You know, we, we were sent the Holy Spirit and because of that we get to be his friend. Um, in John 14, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is John 14, verse 6. He answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Jesus came so that we might have a way into a relationship with the Father. So the finished work of Jesus is all about God wanting you to be his friend and that's why he made you worthy and that's why salvation was done on the cross because he wanted to know you um, so that's what I have We're gonna, I'm going to hand back to Alistair and I'd love to yeah, pray with anyone at the end um, yes I'm, I'm not sure what we do now but Father I thank you for this this access to friendship that we have in you I thank you that you have made us worthy and I thank you that we don't have to work or earn our way into your your heart, but that you love us just as we are right now. Amen. Fantastic.